Well, we want to welcome everybody to Spruce Grove Community Church. If you're visiting with us, we're excited you're here. And we hope today will be a service that will bless your hearts. But why don't we stand this morning as we prepare to go into a time of praise and worship. I was thinking about this this morning that there are many of us in this building right now. And many of us are coming in with our hearts in different places. Some of them are in a place of excitement. Some of them are in a place of struggle. And I felt like the Lord said to me today that, you know what? You get to exchange whatever struggles you have today. As you come into the house this morning to praise the Lord, he is here. And he is asking you not to hold on to those things that you brought into this place today, but to exchange them. And so this morning, as we come into a time of worship, for those of us that are in a place where our faith is high, that we get to intercede and pray. And for those that are struggling today, exchange that. Exchange that. Come to the throne room this morning as you worship and give those things to him this morning. Amen? So, Father, we come this morning knowing that you are the great I am. You are the one who can meet all our needs. You are the one worthy of praise this very day. And so, Father, we want to give you all of our worship today. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. You know, Derek just came up to me and he whispered in my ear, the Father is saying that it unlocks on the inside. Is that how you worded it? It unlocks from the inside. I just felt this this morning that there are some of us that are needing to bring some things to the Father, but the thing that he highlighted to me, he reminded me of a time that I was in Arizona, and I was in a place called Fountain Hills. And I was standing in a church just like this. And that day when I was standing in the church, I remember looking around and I remember saying to myself, Where'd that love go? Where'd that passion go? I remember having a conversation with a father of, I just look out at the people, I look at the, it's just not there right now. I want to be filled with the love of God. I want to have the passion of God in my heart. But I can't lie and say it's there when it's not there. And I remember that day I stood before the Father. And I got down on my knees before the service actually started. And I cried out for him. And said, I can't have it this way any longer. I just can't. You can't make it happen either, though. You know, I remember the service starting, and I remember, you know, 20 minutes in, it's like, when is my heart going to change? I remember those younger years. I remember when my passion was so high. And I just remember as the service went on and on, I felt like I just needed to get closer and closer to the Father. And I can't explain it. But the closer I got to Him, it was like just something unlocked, and I can't even explain how it happened. It just unlocked, and I looked up, and I can honestly say to you that just like the snap of my finger, I looked out at the church, and I loved the people. The love of God had entered my heart in a way that it had been lost for a long time. And Di said something to me today, and I wanted just to share that about the shoreline thing. 
As you were singing in this atmosphere, I, when uh, Benny started singing first, I'll wade in your love, I, I heard the word wade, W-A-D-E, instead of wait in your love. And the Lord's like, I'm inviting you to come wade in my love, to come from the shore, come from the sidelines. Only you know where you're at with God, between you and God. But waiting, I'm just watching the water go by and wishing that looks pretty nice, but not willing to put our feet in. Today, I'm going to choose to come and wade in this love. And think, no, we need a waterfall. No, some of us just need to step in to his love, to step into that stream of God, that river of God, to come and wade in his love. It's a beautiful place. So I even encourage you even to come out of your pew and just walk. Take that step of, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to just watch the water go by. I'm actually going to step into this stream of God's love. It is available. It is available. And I'm just going to step into it. And I'm just going to wait and maybe kick the water up a little bit and just feel it around my feet and let it actually heal the soles of your feet. More than the soles of your feet, your very soul, it will heal. His love will heal the very soul of your being. And I speak that over you. Come and wade in his love, in his beauty, in his gentleness, in his power. Just before we move on here, I don't know how many of you that when you were younger, when I used to go to the beach, it wasn't a question that when I got to the beach, I was going to run in the water. That's the only reason I went to the beach. I mean, I got to the beach, my shorts were on, and all us guys, it was, who could be the first one in the water? And I mean, two hours would go by and we're in the water. But I don't know about you, time has gone by in my journey, but when we go to the beach today, me and Jen are often the ones sitting on our towels, watching our kids go in the water. Anybody relate to that? The water looks nice from a distance, but there's no way I'm getting in it. You know what, as adults, sometimes we need to get rid of that stuff. And right now is one of those moments. If we are struggling to get in the water, there's only one way to get in. You just have to get in. That's it. There's no other option. We can't convince you. You got to choose it. I want in. I'm getting in. That's it. Have you found that hope? Is the hope calling to you right now because there's a hope that is attainable? There's a hope that is actually obtainable. There's a hope that we can actually touch and reach. There's a hope that you right now, wherever you are in your life, you can reach out for and grab it. It's not something that is teasing us. It's not something that is afar off. It's something right here, right now. It's tangible before you. Can you grab the hope right now? Can you feel the hope coursing through your body right now? God, we look to you for our hope. All things are possible through you. We put our hope in you. If you don't feel hope right now, stand with me. I know it's being challenged. I know it's hard. But there is a hope here right now that we can grab. Raise your hands to him and say, God, I need your hope. I hold on to hope. Seriously. 
grab hold right now. We hope in you. Oh God. All my hope is in you. All my hope is in you. We reach out for you now. All my hope is in you. Let the release of hope happen in this place. Let hope spring up from the ground. We put our hope in you. There is no one else. We're going to sing that chorus again, but I feel the Lord has said something. As I was sitting down, I felt like the Lord said to me, it's time for you to pray, pray those prayers that seem impossible. The impossible prayers right now are possible. I feel the Lord is saying that right away. The Lord made me think of my dad. I haven't talked to him in 12 years. He refuses to walk with the Lord. I felt him say it today. The impossible is about to happen. Will you pray into it? Will you pray into it? I feel like you have impossible situations right now. God is saying, pray it. This is a moment. That window is open. Pray it. So just begin to pray whatever that impossible situation is. So, Father, we say, let it be done. We say, let it be done. In Jesus' name, let it be done. In Jesus' name. Let it be done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. I just hear the Lord saying the prodigals are coming home. The prodigals are coming home. There's healing in the lands. Healing in the lands. Salvation will spring up. 
Father, we pray for massive salvation to spring up in our nation. Father, in Spruce Grove and in Canada, we pray for salvation. Father, we pray for churches across our nation that they would be filled with new believers. Father, for relationships in this room right now that are severed between fathers and sons, brothers and sisters, mothers and daughters, Father, we pray for reconciliation. We pray for healing. We pray for unity in Jesus' name. For young ones that have walked away, we call them back in Jesus' name. We call them back in Jesus' name. For those that are sick, we pray for healing. Jackie brought a word to me that said she saw a picture of an atom. One of the smallest things that we know of, but she said God is working in the smallest details right now in your life. Things that you cannot see, things that you cannot imagine, things that you thought were forgotten. God is working at the lowest level in your life right now to bring life back to it. He's working at the atomic level in your life. And, and the time is now because God says that I am about to release a nuclear explosion of my power in this day. 2017 will be a year that will shatter mindsets of men. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Can we say, let it be done? Let it be done, Lord. Let it be done. Amen. The Lord was showing me something this morning, and I, uh, and I, I remember when we, when we were uh, in Jerusalem for the, for the gathering here back in November, and one of the things that I took from that was this, this idea that sometimes God, you know, he works in the assembly, and then, and then there's an opportunity to give a little explanation even of what's just happened. And so I want to I talk to you this morning a little bit about what God was doing through uh, the worship time and through the declarations and the prayer. So I, I think the best way I can illustrate it would be, you know, if you got ruts in a road, you know, and the ruts go kind of like this. And if you want to, if you want to do something else, you kind of, you, you take your car, you bump over the ruts. But if you go over that route again in, in five minutes, which way are you going to go? You're going to follow the original ruts because that's just, that's the way that thing goes. But if you, if you continue to bump over that thing and continue to make a new path and you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over that thing, then after a little while, that becomes the new path. And in fact, if you wanted to try and take the old ruts now, you would have to work it through, okay? And I think there was something that God was doing this morning in changing actual pathways in our minds, actual ways of thinking that we've that we've fallen into that he was actually establishing something new so it's not well yes during the service it was easy to believe for a bunch of things that are otherwise impossible but once reality sets in again nah, uh, 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 uh. reality has shifted reality's different and he's he's establishing this new pathway in our thinking, in our minds, this thing that says, no, 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 I am your hope. And I will do what I will do. 
Okay, so our ability to actually believe that, to have our faith grow and to make declarations, and whether that's declarations over things as impossible as Chris's dad coming to God, that's not impossible at all. And whether it's over Jesse's brother-in-law or whether it's over, you know, the nations ganging up on Israel, not one of those things is bigger than any other to our God. And we can believe for them. Our hope is in him. So that establishing of just a new path, a new ability to make declarations over things that are too big for us. Because we'll have the faith to know that they are not too big for our God. And that we're aligned with him. And all we're doing is declaring his will into the earth. Let it be done. Amen. This morning was good. Um, feel like I should have spoke before that. Um, anyone else having a tough week? I don't get emotional very much, but this morning I was crying. And uh, last night I was crying a bit. And um, yeah, God's so good. Okay, so if you have your Bible or you have an iPhone or an iPad... I want to start today in John 8, starting in verse 1 to 11. This week, as I was kind of praying about it, Chris told me last week that I was, I was going to be sharing today, and just this one, the story in, in John just kept coming up and up, and yeah, and I was, I was kind of reading through it, and I was like, okay, God, what do you want to show me? So John 8, verse 1, Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd, which no one likes to be there. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into some, saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until... Only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Well, I do, so go home. So if you're not laughing, that means you need to read your Bible more. Because Jesus responds in grace and love, unconditional love, and says, Neither do I go and sin no more. I am so ready for winter to be over. I, as I get older, I'm learning more and more how much I despise being cold, and I'm actually thinking that as a church, every October we should uproot, move to Florida, and then come back in May. I'm going to be submitting that to Pastor Mark this week. However, the one thing that I do love about winter is strapping on my skis or snowboard and hitting the slopes with a few good friends. I have a couple 
good friends that up until uh, last year when they moved to Medicine Hat, we'd go down to uh, Kelowna every year and uh, hit up Big White uh, Ski Resort. About four years ago, we are on the second day of our two-day ski trip, and we're about the third last run of the day. And my one friend was on his skis, and I had my snowboard, and um, I didn't ski in a year. Um, I'm way more comfortable on skis because I grew up on skis, but I asked if we could switch, so we switched for the last few runs. After a little bit, I was totally fine, back to my normal, normal form. The third run, we found the best jump I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And being an overconfident man, I decide I'm going to hit it as fast as I can, do a perfect 360 in the air, and ski off into the sunset, even though I had never, ever done that before. <laughs> so we go down. I go slower than I could, should, because I'm kind of cautious. Uh, I only get about a quarter of the way around, wipe out in the nice soft powder while laughing, and being an overconfident man, I decide I'm going to try it again. <laughs> so we go back up the chairlift, come back to the same spot. This time I get as much speed as I possibly can. I hit the jump perfectly, I get the perfect amount of air, I start spinning, but on the other side of the jump is this really, like, a lot of moguls. So I perfectly in the air start spinning. I get about three quarters of the way around. My ski tips go perfectly into the mogul and stop dead. But my body keeps going. You know those points in life where time just kind of like stops and goes really, really slow? That was like the slowest moment in my life. My skis were no longer moving, but thanks to gravity, I was still twisting. And all in my head, in a split second, I'm thinking, why are my feet not popping out of these bindings? Why are my knee and ankle twisting past the point that they should? And why is there excruciating pain going through my leg? It was probably like point, point zero, zero 0.002 of a second, but all of that went through my head really, really quickly. And then eventually the bindings popped off, I flew through the air, and slid down the backside of the mogul. My two friends immediately came over, asked, of course, first of all, if I was okay, and then my one friend proceeded to tell me that he hates when his bindings pop off, so he always over-tightens them, past the recommended amount. That point was the point of my life where I discovered that I'm no longer 18, and that my body doesn't heal the way that it used to. Four years later, every time my ankle gets sore because of the bone chip that's forever floating in my ankle, or I twist my knee the wrong way, I'm reminded that I need to change how I care for my body. I need to be selective of which crazy things I agree to, like running around the West End into mall in a onesie with Michael, totally fine. Doing a 360 on skis is not. And if you haven't seen the video of me and Michael in onesies, you're missing out and you need to get on Facebook. I think all of us can look back at our lives and see moments that we wish we could take back. 
like a video game we wish we could have a do-over. Some of those might have been an embarrassing moment. Others were silly decisions, or there are those that are really, really painful. In verse 3 in John 80, it says, As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. I don't think this was a one-time thing for this lady. The Pharisees knew where to find her. They knew where to go. And they knew where to trap her. And it was public because now she's standing in front of everybody she knows. I feel like I can speak for everyone here when I say that when most of us sin, we prefer to keep it hidden, right? When, when I go to a buffet to destroy it and my friends have to roll me out like a beach ball, I don't want to go hang out with my friends after. I want to go home, get in my bed, and hide there for a week. Or when I make appointments with people at 5 and I show up at 5.15, the last thing I want to do is say, I'm sorry I'm late. Please forgive me. I really wonder what was going through her head in that moment. I think she had come to the terms with the fact that she was about to die. This was a moment where this woman realized she had made a massive mistake and probably wished she could have kept it hidden or she could reset that moment. Here's the thing is a lot of time God uses people to reveal stuff in our lives that we need to change, people we never expect. In a normal day, these Pharisees would not have talked to this woman. But because they wanted to trap Jesus, the sin in her life was revealed. And if you, when we read later, it changed her life forever. Yes, your ex was probably a jerk. Yes, your in-laws are sometimes difficult. Yes, that business partner stole a lot of money and left you high and dry. But in all of those life situations, what is God revealing to you about you? Because... If you blame, you might miss the blessing. Turn to your neighbors and say, don't miss the blessing. If you blame, you might miss the blessing. It would have been very, very easy for that woman to blame the Pharisees. And she totally would have been justified. They had set a trap for her and they were using her. But as we read into the rest of the story and what happens at the end, I believe that the grace of Jesus extends to her, that Jesus extends to her, is proof that she had owned her decision and she had owned her fate. I believe if she had come to that situation from a heart of blaming other people, John, or John 8 would have read something like this. As he was speaking, the teachers of a religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd the woman turned to the Pharisees and in a loud voice yelled, It's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Jesus, unable to hear the Pharisees' questions, and the Pharisees were unable to hear Jesus' answer, all returned to their homes. Later in the afternoon, the Pharisees found the woman, took her outside of the city walls, and stoned her. I don't think that verse would have made it into the Bible. And I think she would have missed out on experiencing the blessing and experiencing the grace of the unfailing love of Jesus. It's very, very easy to blame. In our culture, we see this all the time, and it's turning into like a regular phenomenon. Well, my parents didn't teach me how to handle money when I was growing up, so it's their fault I'm $40,000 in debt. Well, I don't feel like reading my Bible, so it's God's fault that I feel so distanced from him. 
or you see this played out in marriages. When you're single, it is really, really easy to hide. When you're angry, you can go home, get into bed, blame who you want, run the situation over and over in your head, and come up with all the reasons why you were right, and you can be angry for as long as you want. But all you married people know that when you're angry, you don't have as many places to hide. Blaming your spouse for your anger or frustration or your expectations does not usually go so well for you, all the married people said. You cannot hide the fact that you're angry around your family for very long, and you have three options. Number one, your spouse doesn't put up with you and you sleep outside or on the couch. Number two, you bury everything inside and pretend everything's okay, and in one day, two days, a week, or years later, everything explodes all over the place. You don't know why, and there's a bigger mess than there was before. Or option three, you accept responsibility for your feelings, emotions, and expectations, and you deal with them then and there. Yes, that person used you, and yes, your parents may have been really mean for not giving you second dessert when you were five. And yes, that person in the church said something really hurtful. And I'm not trying to dismiss those feelings. If I heard all of your stories, I'm sure I would agree with you that you were totally justified in feeling hurt and angry. But if you continue to focus on what they did, you're going to miss out on what God's trying to do inside of you. Don't blame and miss the blessing. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the women. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you. I call that section of time between after the time they accused her and before Jesus extended grace. I call that part the moment in the middle. It's a time in life after we've been kicked to the ground but before Jesus has stepped into the situation to give you meaning. And as hard as those times are, I believe it's incredibly important to be grateful for those moments in the middle. You know those moments in life where time seems to stand still. It's usually the most embarrassing thing in the world has just happened to you. Or you're hurtling through the air and your feet aren't coming out of your bindings or right after you get the divorce papers, or right after you get the report from the doctor, when it feels like an hour has passed, but it's actually only been about 15 seconds. I think the time between when the Pharisees showed up and Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more, was probably the longest time in that lady's life. Time probably stood still for her. Here she is standing naked in front of everybody she knows, she knows what her fate is, and at this point, she's probably just wanting the rocks to fly so that the pain and the public humiliation will end. 
But instead of Jesus giving the word so that the stoning can start to end her embarrassment, Jesus bends over and starts to draw a picture. I'm willing to bet that not only was Jesus taking his time specifically to make the Pharisees really, really angry, but he was also doing it for the woman. Because in a few minutes, he was about to change her life and give her a new identity. And 100% of the time, getting from point A to point B takes a lot of patience. And it takes trusting Jesus enough that we will wait on his timing regardless of whether we think he should hurry up finish drawing his picture in the sand and deal with the situation that we're going through. Those in-between moments are the most frustrating time frames in anybody's life. The moment when we get kicked down on our butt and time when we have an encounter with Jesus and he gives us a new identity or tells us why he is making us wait. Sometimes those moments last a few days, sometimes a few weeks, sometimes they're years, and there are some situations where we won't really know what Jesus is up to until we get to heaven. But all he asks is that we trust him, listen to him, and allow him to accompany us on that journey and prepare us for what's coming in the future. Here's my heart, and here's the point of all of this. Jesus has grace, and he has a new identity for each of us, but it takes patience, and it takes time to prepare us for what he has planned for us. We desperately need those moments in the middle where we allow Jesus to reach inside of us and do some work. Looking back on my life, I would not be up here if it wasn't for those moments where I said, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, but let's do it. Um, Di, could you come play on the piano? Could you imagine how our lives would be different if even though it was hard and even though it hurt and even though there were some days we felt like we couldn't carry on, we learned to stop blaming others and we learned to just rest in those moments in the middle. In those seasons, we could patiently wait for Jesus to do his thing, and we just accepted that we are along for the ride and he's in control. I'm going to wrap up quickly, but before I do that, can we just take five minutes to just be a family? And here's what I mean by that is, I don't know about you guys, but every once in a while, something happens in my life where I get shaken, where life gets so busy because I'm going 180 miles an hour, or I get spiritually or emotionally attacked, and I just want to throw my hands in the air and run away. But it's in those moments that I turn my cell phone off, and for a day or two, I go to see my family. I go to my mom's, I go to my sister's, and I just lay on the couch, and I refresh because it's a safe place. And that's what this place needs to be. I got about three quarters of the way writing this, and God reminded me that this was just as much for me as it is for everybody in here. Because the truth is, there are a lot of us in here 
who are not physically naked in the center of a town in front of everybody we know, but maybe spiritually, financially, relationally, or emotionally, you feel like you've been kicked to the ground and are waiting desperately for Jesus to show up and do something. Maybe depression's been following you around for a really long time and you feel like you can't go on. Maybe there's sickness in your family, sickness in you, and you can't see the big picture of what God's doing. I don't know exactly where you're at, but if there's a part of your life where that's where you feel right now, could you just stand up? There are going to be days in life where you feel like you can't keep going on. There will be days where it will be impossible to see what Jesus is doing, and it's on those days where family and community are so important. Four years ago when the relationship I was in exploded, People coming up to me and telling me God was in control was not what I needed at that time. I needed my friends Trenton and Talia to come pick me up, take me to their house, and just sit with me on their couch. Community is one of my core values, and this is the reason why, is because I can look back in my life and I can see, you know what, if I didn't have people coming up to me and praying for me, and I didn't have people coming up to me and saying, hey, we're going to walk with you, I would not be up here. So can we take five minutes just to be a family? And if, and if you're sitting, can we just like surround the people that are standing? Can we take, it might just be standing beside them and that's all they need. Or it might be God gives you a word or it might be um, God wants you to pray for them. But as Dai plays, can we just take five minutes and just bless each other and love each other and support each other. Oh, God, you are so, so, so good. God, you are so good. You are so good, God. I just want to say it again and again. God, you are so good. In the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our challenges, you are so, so good, God. God, I pray that that would just begin to sink into the very depth of our being, into our thinking, into our spirit, into our bodies where we are broken. I want to declare, God is so, so good. He is so good. God is so good. He is forgiving and gracious and kind and loving and merciful. His mercies never end. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has forgotten our transgressions. And today we receive that. We come into your presence, Lord, and we receive the goodness of God. We let that begin to shake up the old way of thinking. And we let it begin to shake up our bodies where our bodies have followed along with that thinking. Lord, revive our spirits today with the truth that, God, you are so, so, so good. You are so good. Today I bless this body to go in the peace of Christ. I declare that the peace of God will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. I declare that goodness and mercy will follow them wherever they go. I declare that God has anointed them and they walk in that anointing. Lord, I just want to say that this week we want to be closer to you than we ever have before. And I ask that as we draw close to you, you would draw close to us, Lord. Seal up this time. We bless this time. 
where you spoke of hope, where you spoke of forgiveness, where you spoke of vulnerability, where you called us closer to you, Lord. Don't let us forget it. Let it sink into our being. So I bless you and I release you now in the name of Jesus, and I declare that this will be a good week.